Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jettikin. I guess I'm doing Patreons today. I'm making Desi read the Patreons okay, this week. My pleasure. So here are the thank yous, the shout outs to the people who joined our Patreon this week over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's right. They are... Nick Telecast, Elaney, Molly, uh, Lisa, Hunter, Brooke, Michael, Adam, Jackie, Laura, Janine, Lisa Ann, Angela, The Planet Cameron, and Sharjuma. Thanks, Thank guys. You. Um, so it's weird now I have to go to my story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know what you're doing this week. Well... I wasn't quite done with my Studio 54 phase. And to be honest, I'll probably return to that cast of characters again at some point. So I started looking around uh, for Studio 54 regular to do for this week. One that wouldn't be like Liza, which would be like a four-parter probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I came across a person who was going to Studio 54 that I wouldn't have thought of because she was very young. And that is Gia Karanji. Oh. Now... I knew she would be a great subject for this week. Um, so if you don't knew, if you don't knew, if you don't know who Gia is, she's often referred to as the first supermodel. Something that is obviously said about a bunch of women, Janice Dickinson. Yeah, famously. So, but I think she had this, you know, for for this particular era, I guess. Although her and Janice were around the same time. But regardless, she's a very big model from the late 70s, early 80s. She appeared on countless covers of magazines and landed major advertising campaigns for Christian Dior, Versace, and Yves Saint Laurent. Now, another thing she is kind of famous for is she's widely credited for the rise and success of Cindy Crawford. When Cindy Crawford started, she was referred to as Baby Gia because of her resemblance to Gia. And she even said later on in her life that her agents took her to all the photographers who worked and liked Gia, including Albert Watson and Fran Francesco, Francesco uh, Scavulo. So they all liked Gia so much that they were like, sure, we'll see this girl who looks like Gia, uh, et cetera. You may also know her from the 1998 HBO movie, Gia, starring Angelina Jolie, which documents her tragic story, a fashion darling who becomes an addict and is basically trashed by the industry that fucked her up. <laughs> I mean, her mom helped too. Yeah. It's a combination of things, but it's a classic, you know, I don't want to say rags to riches, like just this rise and then just this complete fucking downfall and abandonment by this industry who yeah. supposedly loved her. My main source for this was a book by Stephen uh, Freed. The thing of it's called Thing of Beauty, the Tragedy of Supermodel Gia. And we will get started. Gia Karanji was born in Philadelphia on January 29th, 1960. She was the youngest child and only daughter of Joe and Kathleen Karanji. 
Her mom also had an interest in fashion and modeling. She joined a modeling club in high school and eventually worked at a ladies' dresswear shop where she helped to organize runway shows and would help the models get ready for these shows. At 21, she married um, Joe Karanji, who was 11 years older than her. He was in the restaurant business and pretty successful. The couple seemed on an upward swing when Joe founded Hoagie City. What? The chain restaurant. Is that still in existence? I've never been to Hoagie City. I saw some uh, listed. I don't know if it's the same thing because there could be... Hoagie City might be (laughs) the name of a few stores. So I have no idea. I've never even heard of Hoagie City. Well, this is from the early 70s. So yeah. So I tried to find a menu, obviously... Look, I found some Hoagie Cities. They have sandwiches, various sandwiches. (laughs) So despite the financial stability of this marriage, it was not a good marriage. Kathleen could be controlling, and she found Joe to be all work, no play. She was irritated by his complete lack of discipline with the kids. She was just irritated by him. The home was also clearly divided along gender lines. Joe, in particular, loved picking on the girls. If the boys cleared the table, he would stop them and tell them not to do their mother's job. This would obviously piss off Kathleen. And that would make Joe happy. Like, haha, look, like, look, I really worked her up again. Like, it was that kind of thing. Now, according to writings uh, that Gia would later do as part of rehab therapy, she felt like she was being made fun of and rejected simply because she was a girl. She recalled going into a big closet as a child and played dress up where she would put on her father's clothes instead of her mother's because she thought, quote, I think I thought if I was a boy, my father would love me. When Gia was five, she was sexually abused by an older man. This abuse occurred only one time, but obviously she was very traumatized and lived in fear that it would happen again. At the age of 14, she finally told her mother about this incident, claiming that it was a neighborhood man. Later on in this rehab uh, therapy she would go into uh, later in life, she would tell friends in that that her father had been the abuser, but that's never been confirmed. And obviously the dad never copped to it. (laughs) Right. So no one really knows. By the time Gia was nine or 10, the tension in her household had escalated from verbal abuse to physical. While none of the children were ever experiencing the physical abuse, the parents were violent with one another, and obviously being around that is not uh, fun. A cousin of Gia's said that Joe had a bad temper, but only when it was pro- he was provoked by Kathleen, and Kathleen provoked him a lot. Like She kind of wanted it to get physical. Like She was, I don't want to say into it, but that was her deal as well. Now, the frequency of these physical altercations just kept escalating, and Kathleen at some point believed that the root of the problems was that her husband was insanely jealous. One time she said that he smacked her during in the face during sex and accused her of thinking of somebody else. Very unhealthy relationship. She, Kathleen eventually attempted suicide by uh, swallowing a bunch of pills. This was right before Gia turned 11. Soon after that, Kathleen decided things had reached this limit for her. She said that she thought he was going to kill me or I was going to kill him. She decided at that point to not only leave her husband, but she left her children too and like left the home and left her kids with the father, which is uh, very unusual. Now, obviously, when she does this, Joe is a complete mess. He has extreme divorce dad energy, The kids have zero discipline. They're literally eating cereal for dinner. Like it's just uh, Lord of the Flies type things. The kids completely ruled the house. 
And Gia, being the only girl, faced some additional weirdness. She told her mom, and this is a quote from the mom, Gia told me later that after I left, he would come into her room in the middle of the night and sit on her bed. She'd wake up and he'd be there staring at her. Nothing ever happened, but she was uncomfortable. That's very (laughs) fucked up. Yeah. Uh, Because that's like every day you're like, is it going to happen now? Right. I mean, so it's the early 70s. Gia is now a teenager and she becomes obsessed with David Bowie. And what seems like a trend in Philly that they were all calling themselves Bowie kids. Oh. Um, And that's what you might think it might be. It's wearing outrageous hair, fashion. You're kind of, they were all exhibiting this interest in life outside of this heteronormative ways of their parents, both gender expression wise and sexual orientation wise. This coincided with an upward tick in her rebellious nature as well. Uh, She was breaking lots of rules which had her mom blaming Bowie for any and all of her bad behavior. (laughs) This is her sweet child. She likes Bowie and now she's like a monster. Kathleen actually wanted to understand Bowie and her daughter. So she began attending concerts with Gia, which I'm sure had to be super cool. Uh, (laughs) Gia would actually be high while her mom was there thinking she was keeping her from doing drugs. Uh, So, yeah. By this point, Gia had grown into a very beautiful teen, which along with her charm and her ability to manipulate people, it's a pretty dangerous combination. One that she seemingly was unaware of or pretended to be unaware of. She says, people look at me and they think I'm this beautiful thing and I must be extremely hot. And what they don't know is I'm extremely boring. I mean, I get that. <laughs> I love when, like, I love when supremely hot people are like, "Really, I'm just a nerd." Yeah, exactly. Now, it, I mean, I can see that she is kind of a homebody, but I definitely don't think she's boring. Yeah, it was around this time that Gia realized she was sexually attracted to other girls. Uh, a friend of her said she was the purest lesbian I ever met. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. It was the clearest thing about her. She was very aggressive about it. She was sending other girls flowers and poems when she was just 14 years old. I mean, I guess it's pretty unusual to be that open back then uh, about being a lesbian, probably. Maybe, yeah. Her mother found a letter Gia wrote to a girl who had spurned her and confronted her daughter. Gia told her mother she was gay, and her mom did not believe it. In fact, her mom doesn't believe it up until the recent interviews with her. She says Gia led a gay lifestyle, but in her heart, I don't think she was gay. Okay. She said she was, and clearly all her friends were gay. (laughs) All the women she fucked were gay. No, I'm just kidding. But I would not believe it. She probably hid behind being gay. If you were gay, you didn't have to deal with a man-woman relationship. If you were gay, you didn't have to deal with being like everyone else and being normal. Uh, yeah, or not, you just like fucking girls. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, not the way it works. Yeah, Gia's mom. Now Gia, her mom put her in therapy because of this, but the therapy ended pretty quickly because Gia just was making up stories to the counselor, so that therapy was going nowhere. Now, right around this time, Gia also begins modeling. She went to an audition at Gimbel's department store and immediately stood out. According to a photographer named Michael Ahern, who was the director of fashion photography at Gimbel's. We always had used regular models, and then somebody decided we should try $10 an hour models and just have a cattle call. Most of the people were just so awful, and then came along this little girl. She must have been 14, and she was wonderful. She was always late, always had some excuse, but I used her as much as I could. 
Now, she also began hanging out at a dance club, a gay dance club called DCA when she was 15. And it was here she met her first love, Sharon Beverly. That is an alias used in the book. So I don't know what her real name is, uh, who was 21 at the time. And they were considered... I mean, this book's, I don't, this book isn't that old, but it had some dated thing where it's like, and they weren't a butch and a femme. They were both femmes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a thing. That's a, that <laughs> like, happens it doesn't always sometimes. have to be, it's not emulating a heteronormative relationship all the time. Like, right. one's the butch. Like, <laughs> it was uh, whatever. So, of course, Kathleen is unhappy when she finds out about this. She calls Sharon's mom and breaks up the relationship, basically. Ugh. So, one high school friend said, Gia just loved women and she fell th- for them whether they were straight or gay. And the problem was that they would fall for her as well, whether they were straight or not, male or female. She went after people and she always got them. The problem was she was very needy and like these relationships would always be unsatisfying to her. She kind of always needed someone around and then she would kind of treat these lovers or um, affairs as if these people were her babysitter. And that's not going to last because no one wants to have that deal, no matter how hot you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, After the relationship with Sharon ends, Gia's behavior gets worse. She is shoplifting and very moody, so much so that her mother has her tested for cocaine. She does test positive for like a trace amount of cocaine, but even her brother, Michael, said she didn't do anything, any more drugs than anyone else during this period. And she mostly stuck to pot and quaaludes at the time. Mm. Quaaludes. The dream. (laughs) Now, by the time she's a senior in high school, she moves back above, kind of with her dad, but above one of his Hoagie City shops. And That sounds fun. Yeah. She works at the Hoagie shop. She makes sandwiches. I would eat so much bread. (laughs) Yeah. She um, also begins taking pictures with some of Philly's biggest photographers, including Joe Petralis and another man named Maurice Tannenbaum. He is a hot hairstylist in Philly at the time, but he's trying to put together a book of his um, photography to move into that area. According to to Petralis, she projected like a cheetah. She was born to be in front of the camera and she would move. She knew her face, she knew her body, and it was no big deal. She was only doing modeling because she needed something to do. Tannenbaum called her the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. The girl was just physically perfect in every way. She was very untrusting, though, and she seemed to used to being abused because she was beautiful, and she became very hardened to that. She realized it young and tried to protect herself. Her mother really wanted her to be a model because it was like her dream, and Gia really wanted to please her mom, but Gia was unsure of committing to a move to New York City to make it happen. She was perfectly happy making hoagies at her dad's shops and and like modeling on the side at a gimbals. <laughs> it does sound like a fun life. Yeah. Um, and despite her flaw, the father's flaws, at this point, he's like a really chill dude. He's very non-judgmental. He loves his kids unconditionally, which is more than the mom can do. Yeah. And he bails them out of any situation. Like he is that kind of dad. Uh, she's like, Hey, you know, I just like cruising around. You know how Philly is when you're young and trying to have fun. She likes Philly. I like Philly too. Uh, but she's a little too unusual or exotic looking for the Philadelphia modeling uh, market. And she really had to go to New York to have some kind of long-term career. Um, if you remember this time, Like we're getting into the area where it's like Christy Brinkley, like the beachy blonde, Cheryl Teagues, that kind of look. So she, um, she's, she's not that she's Italian. What's the other one? 
Bo Derek. Oh, Bo Derek, but she wasn't really a model. Oh yeah, she was an actress. She was an actress, I don't, but, but I that just, look was very popular. I just mean she kind of is like this. To me, I associate her with that early eighties, yes. late seventies. Those right. those models. It was a very beachy uh, kind of surfer girl. Was like the sort of modeling yeah. look at the time. Um, she kind of joked that her only dream and as far as modeling went was to be on the cover of Vogue once just to prove she could do it and then she would quit. Um, the other thing that she sort of enticed her about modeling was the chance to be near this rock and roll scene. She idolized the model Patty Hansen, who was dating Rolling Stones guitarist Keith Richards at the time. So she was kind of like, yeah, that would be cool to hang out with rock stars because yeah. she's like a huge Bowie fan. She loves the Rolling Stones. Now... What finally gets her to New York are two sort of um, accidental moments of fate. One involves um, her car and another involves this book she was working on with Maurice Tannenbaum, his photography book. Now, uh, his book is eventually seen by a friend who is close friends with New York modeling agency, a New York modeling agency run by Wilhelmina. Uh, She, at the time was running one of the two big agencies. There's Ford and Wilhelmina. She was an ex-supermodel. Um, so she sets up a meeting with this would-be photographer, Angia. Um, she also has this car I mentioned. That car ac- She gets into a car accident, and she gets a $2,000 insurance settlement with that. So those two things finally push her to New York. She has some money to move. And Wilhelmina is crazy about Gia. She uh, is so excited when she meets her that she can't even contain herself. She forgets to give Gia the contract and like runs after her down the street to make sure she signs with Wilhelmina. Um, at this time, like Gia is like not even five eight. That's like a little short. Yeah, in high fashion. Uh, she's also not even eighteen yet. But Wilhelmina basically lies to get her into some sort of test shoots. That's where you do photos for free and you kind of put your portfolio together to go on go sees. In February of 1978, she is now in New York City and she actually moves in with Sharon, her old girlfriend. They're just friends now, but Sharon wants to be a makeup artist. So they decide to like roommate together in New York City. Um, And Sharon at this point is only dating men. She's like moved into that area. (laughs) According to Sharon, Gia hated the business from the beginning. She felt like a piece of meat. I know it's an old cliche, but that's what she always said. She just wasn't cut out for the business. She was very sensitive. In the beginning, she would do a lot of tests, which are free shoots for your portfolio. And then you take the portfolio around to thousands of photographers in the city. They're very cold hearted when they look through your book. They just flip through it while you're standing right there. But she was like a little girl. She would come home from her day, throw her book to the side and put on cartoons. Uh, And Sharon goes on to say how she would always imagine these men out in the city daydreaming about fucking Gia. And she's just at home watching uh, cartoons. (laughs) So those go-sees obviously eventually pay off. Within her first six months, she's doing Bloomingdale's ads and had editorial spreads in Italian Vogue as well as Cosmo covers with Scavulo. I mean, Scavulo is like the big guy he did every Cosmo cover, I don't know, like my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> like he just did that specific thing. I'm sure he did other stuff as well. She's also working with sort of the top tier talent. Um, one of the makeup artists she works with is Sandy Linter. She is a Studio 54 girl. She's in the documentary, this blonde. She was in it a lot. 
so if you watch that Studio 54 documentary, you have seen her, as well as Way Bandy, who is another makeup artist, and a legendary hairstylist named Harry King. It happened really fast for her. Like she didn't even have time to be like, wow, this is impressive. I'm working with these great people. Like her date book from the time, another person who has her old date books, has something like appointment with Norman Kamali. Norman. Yeah, she put Norman Kamali. And like she had a meeting with Scavolo. Like she didn't spell anything right. Like she just didn't know who these people even were. Amazing. So the reason for her rise was just like a few different things. Like she just, like I said, she's the opposite of these beach blondes. So the high fashion world were into her because yeah. she was kind of wild. She's and edgy. she wasn't into them. And that was also appealing. Yeah. Uh, Scavulo says, I was mad about her. She wasn't stylized. She didn't pose. She was like an actress in front of the camera. You got a million pictures where you wouldn't even see her head in them. She had a way of modeling where she just jumped around. When I first worked with her, I said, oh my God, this is like a, a cult. My assistant was running around with the lights. I said, this is going to be work. But then I realized how to work with that and I didn't want to tame her down. It was a challenge to photograph her, to follow her. There are very few models who experiment like that and do it well. But Gia was like, you were getting candid pictures of her. She had the perfect body for modeling and the perfect attitude. She didn't give a damn. So she threw the clothes away, which I loved. Uh, I mean, that is another thing. She would wear her own clothes and her style was so... uh, specific to her that people were like, oh, just wear that. Like right. they loved her look. Now she had this um, tomboy style that was very appealing to them at the time. They liked her. They would describe it as her boy girl vibe. Like she could be androgynous. She also had this uptown downtown thing. Like she could be high glam and she could be punk rock or whatever. Um So even though she had some issues, like she was always late, she would constantly hit on the other models that were on (laughs) shoots with her. They would get uncomfortable, but she was worth the difficult uh, stuff. Um, One of the other people in the book, I think it was Scavolo's assistant, said that like there's a lot of, every model is beautiful, um, but she would get her life onto the, into the photos. Mm -hmm. She brought this like, experience and vibe to the photos. Um, She also looked stunning with or without makeup. Like a lot of models, sometimes they're just blank canvases, but she looked gorgeous. I almost almost think she looked better without all the makeup. Uh, She had that natural beauty. Um, Scavulo said about her style, there's a picture, a famous picture he took of Diana Ross where we took all her makeup on and she was kind of unglam. We decided to shoot her in jeans. So we called Gia up and said, can we borrow your jeans with the holes in them? Oh, wow. So those are Gia's jeans in that picture. And Diana Ross actually wanted to keep them, but Gia said no. Oh, <laughs> Those are Dude, her jeans. If Diana Ross personally <laughs> asked me for any article of clothing I owned, I would have a really hard time saying no. Look, it's hard to get your jeans perfectly worn in with the right holes that are natural. Like right. you, you didn't buy them that way. <laughs> so like I said before, her unimpressed attitude and disdain for all of that stuff made her very appealing in this business where everyone's just a fucking ass kiss or phony. Um, she, part of her appeal someone said was that she's kind of like a tease. Like it was like, you can't have this. And she was laughing at these men. Jack Nicholson tried to get her to meet him in his room. Uh, and she, she didn't go. She came back and told her friend, can you believe it? I just turned down Jack Nicholson. (laughs) Um, her friendship with Sharon eventually ends 
because she's doing really well and Sharon's still struggling. Like Sharon's barely making rent and she is buying like an Alfa Romeo. As I mentioned, Sharon had moved on to date men as well. Uh, She says, I think she always wished she did love men, but it just didn't work for her. When I really started dating, it really separated us. Uh, We just started fighting and I finally just moved out. Um, Her loved ones began to worry about how fragile she was in this sort of fast-paced lifestyle, and they feared that she would become a Marilyn Monroe-type figure, Now that, especially now that she's kind of on her own. Her brother did say that that was his, one of his regrets, that nobody went to New York City with her, and she was kind of alone. He said, you know, maybe she could have used me or her mother, like Brooke Shields always had her mother. That's kind of a famous thing. Her mother's always around, and people kind of made fun of it. But looking back, it was probably the smart thing to do. Yeah. Uh, her mother should be around. Isn't it weird how we were all kind of like, oh, go away, Brooke Shields. Mom. <laughs> she was kind of like this nuisance or something. But it's like, uh, no, that was the right thing to do. Now, Gia was close to her agency head, Wilhelmina, uh, who not only acted as Gia's mother figure, but according to Gia was more. She told several friends that she and Wilhelmina were lovers. What? Um, but the no one really has anything other than Gia's word. Uh, she obviously has very strong feelings for Wilhelmina and considered her an invaluable um, mentor uh, and companion in her life at this period. Um, Wilhelmina obviously had no more luck taming her in any way, like Gia was out of control. Um, one of the other agency had said Wilhelmina said she was a rebel. Uh, Willie tried to tame her like we all did. She lied. She never showed up on time. She had some cute, cunning ways about her. She crawled underneath your skin with a smile, but she could also act rough and tough. She used to carry a knife. Once she went on a booking to Boston and they wouldn't let her through the metal detector at the airport, she called me screaming and cursing that they took her knife. Finally, I just said to her, leave the knife. I'll buy you another one. Go to the booking. (laughs) Now, Gia made more than $100,000 a year during her first two full years of modeling. Damn. She was doing mostly editorial work and covers, which are good for exposure, but don't pay as much as advertising or catalog work. But changes in the industry are happening at this period. John Casablancas opened Elite Modeling Agency around this time, and he really poaches top talent away from the other two big agencies by offering things like bonus fees and residuals. So he's kind of paying them more. Yeah. And that kind of shakes everything up. It's called, um, it's kind of referred to as the model wars this period. It kind of sounded interesting, but I didn't have time to get into it. So at this point now, models are making like $18,000 a day. Like it is becoming a major uh, money-making job. So a Wilhelmina spokesman told one magazine that in her third year, Gia could possibly make uh, closer to $500,000 for the year. But that year was not to be because by that time, Gia had really started having a drug issue. Everyone around her knew it with the possible exception of her family. Her mom said, yes, I was very naive. In the beginning, she talked about everything that was happening in New York, but later she wouldn't answer questions. She would say things like, you don't ask Michael or Joey how how many hoagies they made that day. Why are you asking me questions? It's just a job. So we would see pictures come out and she wouldn't understand how we would all want to know what it was like to be a big famous model or like what her life was like. Now, as we discussed in our Studio 54 episodes, the disco nightlife 
was popping at this time, and these clubs were all filled with fashion industry elite. Cocaine was the drug of choice at this time. Uh, it, obviously, just people who had jobs like this during the day needed to stay up all night. Yeah. So it was like the perfect combo. The problem is you can't go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So there's also like a more hardcore punk scene going on downtown that we didn't talk about in those episodes. And this is where places like Max's Kansas City, CBGB's, and uh, something called the Mud Club were thriving downtown. The drug of choice downtown uh, progressed very quickly from Coke to speedballs to heroin, which was uh, available in a large quantity and had great quality more than ever before. China Brown that was what this heroin was called, uh, was something that the beautiful people were starting to smoke and snort when cocaine was no longer giving them the thrill or they wanted to come down off of things like something like that. Uh, at the time, a common assumption was you could only become hooked on heroin by injecting it. So these people thought they were safe by sniffing it and smoking it. Obviously, that is incorrect. And this book says a generation of accidental junkies was born. Is that true? A common thing that people think you only get in, addicted when you inject it? I mean, uh, or is that just not the case anymore? Um, well, I, I don't think that people think you can only get addicted if you inject it. But there is, at least among junkies, and I'm saying that as a junkie myself, uh, you think as long as I'm not injecting it, I'm yeah. not that bad. Yeah. No, I can see that. And, and it could be anything. Oh, I'm not injecting meth. I'm, right. I'm just smoking it. So... Even though she's not like one of the biggest fixtures on the New York nightlife, she is kind of a homebody. She was going to Studio 54 and the Mud Club. Like she would frequent those places often. She told people about taking drugs with the Rolling Stones and Blondie. Uh, But within two years of coming to New York, she already had a serious drug problem and it was carrying over into her work. People were even airbrushing needle marks out of her photos. Like they were visible in some of her photos. Uh, Scavulo assistant Sean Burns remembers finding drugs during this boat trip. They were going to St. Bart's to like shoot some photos and he threw the drugs overboard and she obviously freaked out and was crying and was hysterical. She was going to leave the photo shoot and he convinced her to stay. Um, Two weeks after that incident in March of 1980, Wilhelmina Cooper died of lung cancer at the age of 40. Oh my God. Isn't that wild? Uh, so that obviously pushed Gia over the edge. She's already struggling a bit. Um, now she's really losing it. This is her mentor. By July of that year, she wrote in her date book, I don't know what is happening in my life. Nothing seems or feels right to me. I want to live so bad, but I'm so terribly sad. I wish Wilhelmina didn't die. She was wonderful to talk to about work. I cry every day for a little while. I wish I knew what to do. I pray things fall into place. But things did not fall into place. On August 20th, she has a few meetings with big big names like Perry Ellis and director Franco Zeffirelli. She gets interviewed that same day by Scavulo for his book on beautiful women. It has people like Brooke Shields, Elizabeth Taylor talking about like their makeup regimes and stuff like that. Regimen, sorry. <laughs> regimes. Whoa. The totalitarian uh, yeah, makeup You know regime. what I'm talking about? <laughs> Wing-tipped eyeliner. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tired. (laughs) But of course, Gia's passage is not about those things. She's basically psychoanalyzing herself in her passage. 
She explains the reason she turned to drugs, that she was really down on society and found that I was part of society too. And for me to be doing drugs made me just as bad as I thought society was. The world seems to be based on money and sex, and I'm looking for better things than that, like happiness and happiness and love and caring. So at this point, Gia's life becomes a cycle of leaving New York to clean up, uh, getting healthy, returning to to New York to work and then getting into drugs again and going going back to Philly or wherever. Classic cycle. Yes. She starts seeing a celebrity doctor, Robert Giller, who treated people like Bianca Jagger, Barishnikov, Liza Minnelli for various things. He tries to get her off of heroin and with a diet and vitamin B12 shots. Uh, that doesn't work. She also starts seeing a dentist who's giving her prescriptions for um, Percodan. Uh, so it's just a mess. Now... Her drug use finally gets to the point where it prevents her from working as much as she used to. Word begins to spread that she's using heroin and couldn't be counted on to deliver anything that would be usable. Like they put up with it for a while, but at some point it was just like, eh. Now, there were some people who did stick by her, even though things were messy. I mean, she was literally leaving photo shoots to get drugs and go shoot up at like, I don't know what this is, a shooting gallery. Yeah. I guess that's like a place where people go to shoot up. Uh, and then come back like high and fucked up. Um, at this point, she's dropped from her agency. No one wants to sign her. Elite agency finally agrees to see her. They're kind of a more edgy agency at this point. They had models who were like a little more unusual. The president of Elite at the time is Monique Pillard. Uh, she wanted to sign Gia and she's like, show me your forearms. And Gia refused. They eventually took her on anyways because they were like, we can straighten her out. Uh, we can straighten out her Good career luck. life. Now, her career is in shambles still though, but she has a positive in her uh, social or her love life. She's fallen in love with a woman who loves her back. This is a student from Philly named Rochelle Silver, also an alias for the book. So the first time, uh, sorry, Rochelle says, the first time I met Gia, I almost passed out. She was wearing her usual outfit and had a Heineken in her hand. I had never come in contact with anybody who was that stereotypically homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> I was going through the dilemma of sex at the time. Gia liked me and she kept coming back and knocking on my door. From that time until the end, Gia didn't leave me alone. She was very romantic. She wrote me poems. She gave me roses, chocolates, very old fashioned. She was like an Italian guy from old school. I say Gia made me into a nice girl. I never knew what love was or good sex was. We lived together in a husband and wife type of thing. I was the wife. She was the dominant one. Although sometimes she was like a child. She'd get very excited about things like Dairy Queen. I'd say, you want some ice cream? And she Uh got all excited. Can we really go to Dairy Queen? (laughs) Really? So this relationship is long distance at first. Gia wants Rochelle to move to New York with her. And I think she did end up staying there a lot. Um, she says that they'd kind of hide out in the apartment. And it wasn't always drugs that made Gia miss her job. She would sometimes just not want to leave Rochelle and they would just hang out in the apartment. Sometimes they would decide to go to Fire Island or to the Hamptons. And she said, oh, I called and canceled my booking. And while they'd be on a helicopter going to fly Fire Island, at some point they Gia would get a phone call or someone would get a message to her asking where the hell she was, and she'd realized she had never canceled her booking. Oh, God. So 
she was kind of like, uh, like, I don't know what to do. Like she's very, she's young. I mean, they're both young. Yeah. So Rochelle is also taking drugs at the time, but she said like, much like Rachel just said, she never shot heroin. And for a while she didn't know how serious Gia's problem was until she was about to play a practical joke on her when they were traveling on the New Jersey turnpike at a rest stop. She said that Gia went into the bathroom, she was still in the stall, and I was going to throw some water on her from the next stall. I looked over the top, and she had a syringe in her hand and had drawn it up. I said, you put that down or I'm leaving you here. She had it in her hand, and I crawled under the stall, and I said, if you don't put that down, I'm leaving, and I'm never speaking to you again. And believe me, at the time, Gia was madly in love with me. She would do anything for me, but she would not give me that syringe. That's when I knew. But I also knew it would serve no purpose to take it from her because she just hitchhiked back to New York and get more. Now, in March of 1981, her close friend, photographer Chris von Wagenheim, was killed in an automobile accident, and this led her to go once again down a bender. This this photographer is the one who took one of her first famous photo shoots is like with a chain link fence. Do you know that yeah. photos? They're pretty famous. And Sandy, um, the makeup artist, is in them. Sandy Linton. I can't remember her last name right now. That's where they first met. Now, on March 22nd of that same month, she is arrested in a suburban Philadelphia neighborhood for driving under the influence of a narcotic. She's in a high-speed chase that ends with a police car smashing into hers. Uh, She gets a prominent criminal defense lawyer. Her Her stepdad actually hires him. And he's going to defend Gia, but she never shows up for the trial. Uh Uh-oh. When they look for her, she's in Egypt. Doing a photo shoot. Stop it. Yeah. So <laughs> I think she's on a yacht in Egypt. So she gets a bench warrant uh, issued for her. Yeah. I don't think anything ever happens with that. I think they eventually just drop it. But yeah, she's like, I'm not going. Now, once some of these legal issues are cleared up, she decides to try modeling again. She took another break. This is February of 1982. She's traveling to New York for meetings. And now she really wants to focus on transitioning into commercials and acting. On March 5th, she, uh, in her date book, once again, she note, notes the death of John Belushi. Now, they were not friends, but she was sort of devastated by his death. Uh, she gets scared straight briefly, gets clean again, and it was during this period she does a taping for 2020. They do a segment on the modeling world. And she's hoping that that segment will accelerate the process um, of sort of making her more of a household name. Yeah. It doesn't air for a bit longer. Now, in this set, in this 2020 segment, they're talking about the cattle call auditions. They're announcing that 7,000 girls in New York show up calling themselves model. Of these, only 500 are actually making money. And of those, only like 15 or 20 or actually like supermodel or whatever that level. Um, according to Tom Hoving, the host of that segment, once you make it, you become a member of an exclusive international club where the sun always shines, the parties are glowing, a land where there's no ugliness, no sickness, no poverty, a land where dreams come true and everyone is certified beautiful. That's obviously not the case for Gia, especially at this time. Now, 
she is renting this apartment in New York again, but she's flying to California for a week-long German catalog shoot. The trip to Os- I'm sorry, Los Angeles doesn't go well. According to her and her diary, the other models seem to resent me. Is it jealousy or all the girls just like that? I get the feeling a few of them would like to pull my hair out. Why don't I get those feelings toward other girls? Sometimes they say things that are quite nasty and rude. I think it's a terrible part of the human race, a real flaw. I thought we were all supposed to love one another. That must be such a bitchy industry in some way, (laughs) like dealing with that. Like people really feel like, that person's taking my job. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Okay. We'll take a break. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. So after Los Angeles, Gia flies back to New York in May of that year. She has to get surgery on her hand because she has injected herself in the same place so many times that there's an open infected tunnel leading into her vein. After the uh, surgery, she still models a little bit, but her moods are really up and down right now. Over the next few months, uh, things fall apart again. She's walking out of shoots. She's falling asleep on jobs. Uh, And she's refusing to get help or even admit there's a problem. By the time the 2020 segment airs, it's almost a sad joke in the industry. Like this is, she's like done and they're sort of presenting her as this up and comer. It's just like pathetic. Like the industry is like, oof. Um, She's all but blacklisted at that point. In the program, uh, they basically use her as an example of someone who got too much too soon. In the 2020? Yeah. Oh, so they added like an epilogue to it? And 
Well, they kind of knew she had issues. She was the bad girl of right. the segment, and they have Christy Brinkley as sort of the golden girl in this segment of the oh. modeling. So she's already kind of presented as the rock and roller model, like whatever. Yeah. But it obviously, it's like she's not even working anymore by the time it airs, pretty much. Um, Hoving, Tom Hoving, the host of that segment, he does present her as like the symbol of the bright and the dark side of modeling. They don't have Hugh Downs yet? He is... Uh, the host, but this is like, you know how the oh, segments yeah, yeah, have yeah, their yeah, own yeah, little yeah, yeah. host. Um, she talks about how she worked with good people from the start. It happened very fast for her. She says, I didn't build into a model. I just sort of became one. Um, she said, when you're young, you don't always know. It's hard to make the difference between what is real and what is not real, particularly um, she corrects herself a bunch. She is stumbling here. She's like, there's a lot of vultures around you. Uh, she, at some point he turns to her and he said, you got kind of into the drug scene, didn't you? She said, yes, you could say that I did. And he said, you're free of it now. Right. And she said, oh yes, I definitely am. I wouldn't be here talking to you if I wasn't, I don't think. Are you happy with your success? He adds, yes, yes, I am. I am. He says, you hesitated. Well, I just wanted to think about it. (laughs) So it's like a weird interview when you know what's really happening after the fact. Now, Sort of the last straw is like when Scavulo stops working with her. Like he was the holdout who kind of kept working with her. The door is kind of like, you know, anytime you're healthy and want to come back, we're here for you from Elite and Scavulo. But by 1983, like she's not coming back. Like she's just too far gone by this point. She returns to Philadelphia, moves in with her mother. She is on methadone, but she's also still using heroin. She bought drugs by borrowing money from people. And the people would give her the money knowing she was buying drugs because they were afraid what else she would do uh, to get drug money. Like They were like, okay, we'll give it to you. So she's out of money at this point? Yeah. She spent everything she earned modeling basically on drugs. Gia's mom was especially scared during this period. She said, I just tried to prepare myself. I knew that any day I could get a call and she'd be dead. Everyone at this point is blaming everyone else for Gia's struggles. Gia's mom blamed Rochelle, uh, who she believed Gia was giving Gia drugs and, uh, as a way to control her. And Rochelle blamed Gia's mom for not giving Gia the love and attention she needed. Rochelle said Kathleen really did just ignore the drug thing like it, was, it wasn't happening. When Gia was really bad, she would cry, why did my mother leave me when I was 11? Now, Monique Pollard at Elite blamed New York. New York was sort of a relapse for this girl. After a while, I was saying, what, what right do I have to bring her back when she's so happy in New York? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Gia had gone through every penny she made during her modeling career. Rochelle said she spent an unbelievable amount on drugs. I would find bank statements where she would withdraw 1000 3000 5000 10000 all in the same day. And she would walk around with the cash in her sock. She'd go down to a shooting gallery with $10,000 in her shoe. In 1984, Gia and Rochelle moved to Atlantic City. They lived in an apartment above Gia father, Gia's father's luncheonette. Gia sometimes worked for him. He also had a pizza place on the boardwalk. And they once again settled into a kind of normal routine. Uh, They would, you know, sleep in every morning. Gia would get up early at 6 a.m. to go to the methadone clinic. Like when she had that opportunity, uh, they'd go to the methadone clinic and she'd be like, let's get McDonald's. And they'd go get egg McMuffins. They'd come home uh, once she was feeling better. The methadone had kicked in and she'd want to have sex. 
Um, Gia was really looking to do something else, not model. She was thinking about um, becoming a paramedic. She's like, wouldn't that be funny if uh, your medical technician showed up and it was Gia Karanji? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But despite this sort of seeming normalcy, she was doing more drugs than ever at this point. By December of 1984, she reached what everyone kind of considers her rock bottom. Rochelle was then forced to make what she declared to be her hardest deci- the hardest decision of her life. She had to choose between having G in her life and her Gia surviving. Right. She said, I knew all along that if it hadn't been for me, Gia would be living on the street, but I finally had to tell her I would leave her if she did not go to rehab. I knew it was going to happen. I knew they'd say I was her enabler and that they would have to turn her against me. That's how rehab works. They try to break the pattern of drug use by getting you away from the life that led you to it. I knew I was taking a chance that I would lose her, but there wasn't any choice. So after this pressure, she finally enters a rehab program at Eagleville Hospital in Montgomery County, New Jersey. Montgomery County, is that Pennsylvania or New Jersey? I don't know. She had herself <laughs> declared indigent so that the welfare, welfare would pay for her treatment. She didn't have money to pay for it. She entered in, uh, entered the rehab in December of 1984. Of course, she leaves two weeks later because her favorite aunt died in a car accident. Like, I mean, I do feel bad, but it's always an excuse with Gia at the same time. It's like, this is a classic move. Like, it's not just her, it's every drug addict. Yeah. So she agrees to return to this rehab again in February of 1985. She goes through a detox. Uh, And she is told that she has to separate from people in her life to break the cycle of dependency. The two people who are barred from visiting her or contacting her in rehab are her mother and Rochelle. Now, she does make a friend in rehab, a man named Rob Fay. He's a 28-year-old auto mechanic who was there for alcohol and cocaine. He told a story um, about meeting Gia on the grounds. He didn't know who she was. Uh, at the time, her mother wasn't allowed, and she, he could tell she was very attached to her mother. He said one day they were flying kites together, and he said, I like your kite to her, and then she let the string go, and I said, what are you doing? And she said, I was just thinking about my mom. This is what I have to do with her. She had obviously been going through a lot of mental and physical abuse besides the thing with her father. This is what Rob mentions that she talked about in therapy. She uh, had been raped a lot. There were times in New York when people just took advantage of her. He says, I guess you wouldn't really call it rape because she wasn't screaming. Jesus <laughs> no, Rob. Christ. But there were a lot of times when that happened and she didn't want it to happen. Being as high as she was, she couldn't argue. She didn't even know what planet she was on. She had a lot of anger about that. I mean, obviously it's a different time and we know that that's still rape. Yeah. <laughs> there's no set, there's no separating the two. Um, but he talked about the feelings um, between Rochelle and the mom being very hard for Gia to deal with. But he said what Gia had to really know was that whatever she did, she did to herself. So there was no blame. There was no blame. Gia was to blame ultimately for shooting heroin into her arm. That's according to Rob. So she leaves rehab in summer of 1985. She gets an apartment and a job working at the Gap. Oh. And King of Prussia Mall. Oh my God, King of Prussia. <laughs> Have you been to King of Prussia? No, I haven't. Uh, so, you know, that's like a temporary solution. She does, she's trying to figure out what she wants to do. And some other interests she has um, are photography. She's very interested in photography, not fashion, but like uh, other kind of stuff. But the good times, uh, once again, are to be short-lived. She eventually leaves her new apartment and moves back in with her mother 
and all her old problems began again, including using heroin. Uh, she wrote in her journal, I'm at my mom's again and feeling fucked up. You see quite an odd thing happened. I fell in love with my rehab counselor and I think she just feels sorry for me. I hate anyone pitying me. It's so degrading. I have a girl, Rochelle, who loves me and I, her, I'm just not ready for tying up. Girls have always been a problem for me. I really don't know why I bother with them. It's kind of nice <laughs> to know. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same. Like you're not going to become a lesbian and your problems are solved. <laughs> as much as we like to joke how much easier it would be. No, it's I guess not. it's not. Look, I'm just, <laughs> and I'm telling you from personal experience. Yes. yes. So now around this time, the AIDS epidemic is really beginning to make national news headlines, and it's especially hitting the fashion industry. We touched on this a little bit in the Studio 54 episodes. She starts obsessively clipping out articles about the disease, uh, obviously as an intravenous drug user. This is a, a worry of hers, but also she knows some of the names that are in the headlines. Like obviously in October of 1985, we have Rock Hudson who died of AIDS just nine months after publicly announcing that he had the disease. In the spring of 1986, uh, fashion designer Perry Ellis, with, with whom Gia had worked, publicly denies that he has AIDS, but he's showing up at fashion uh, events looking... Gaunt. Very withered and gaunt, which is like back then was like a real sign that, uh-oh, like we know what's happening here. And he died in May of that year. She goes to Atlantic City again to rejoin Rochelle and it does not go well. She's also increased her use of heroin. She gets to Rochelle's and steals a cassette player from the apartment, sells it to buy drugs. She also sells her car for $1,700 and uses that money to buy drugs as well. The Alfa Romeo? Yeah, like whatever she had left. Now, Rochelle returns home to the apartment and Gia is wasted and the tape deck is gone. I love that the tape deck is something you would notice. Like, <laughs> right. where's my tape deck? Uh, they have a brutal fight. Rochelle beats Gia up, tears her shirt off. Gia runs from the apartment topless and Rochelle calls the police to find her. For the next 24 hours, she's on the street. She sleeps outside in the rain on a wet mattress and is raped by a man who finds <gasps> her lying there. Finally, she makes it to her dad's apartment and he arranges for her to take a bus back to Philadelphia. She's picked up at the bus station by her mom and taken to a hospital that's reluctant to admit her because she's a junkie. And at the time, one of the main groups at risk for having AIDS, something the hospital still don't know how to deal with it and they don't want to take it on. They finally admit her with symptoms of pneumonia. Her blood test comes back and shows she has ARC, which is AIDS-related complications, which means she has AIDS. Yeah. So after she's diagnosed, her stepfather refuses to allow her to live in their house. So oh, she can't God. go back then. She moves in with a friend of Rob Faye's temporarily and is eventually allowed to move back home when her stepfather like relents. She continues to see Rochelle on and off, visit friends. Uh, she reads a lot. In the early fall, her oldest brother um, has a baby and the wife doesn't want Gia to come uh, because she's uh, concerned about whatever. Now she goes anyway, and that's like a whole ordeal. In August, makeup artist Way Bandy, who Gia worked with, becomes the next sort of prominent member of the fashion community to die of AIDS. 
Gia takes his death very hard. She writes in her book, my friend Wei died today. We used to have a blast working together. He was amazing. If he wasn't gay, I would have tried to marry him. Death makes life seem unreal, unreal in the sense that you can't hold on to it. Now, this also hurt for her for another reason. She was upset that when he died, nobody called her. All the people who claimed to be her friends, um, they just let Wei die and didn't realize that she like she kind of realized she wasn't as important as she thought she was anymore. Like they had all moved on from her at that point. Um, so she, she kind of just, it really hit her hard Cause she's like, this is what's coming for me. I'm just, when I die, no one's going to care either. In October, she is hospitalized um, at Hanneman university hospital with multiple symptoms stemming from AIDS. One of the things I read in the book was that she um, had her period like nonstop which was like dehydrating her because she was like losing so much. uh, I mean, not just blood, but whatever uh, during that period. At this point, her mother completely took over her life, deciding who could be allowed to see her, what treatments she would get, et cetera. Rochelle is banned from the hospital and not allowed to see Gia, which Kathleen says Gia requested, but Rob Faye says Gia wanted to see Rochelle. Kathleen basically decides that no one except close family was was to be told that Gia had AIDS, which is also like a common thing back then that's, you know, sad. Um, Gia's body is shutting down. Like basically every procedure that the mom is offered, she takes just kind of delaying the inevitable. Um, A doctor eventually asked her like, what are you saving her for? Like, that's how bad she is. Like literally it's like her kidneys are shutting it down. She's on a respirator. Like she is just shutting down. Kathleen says, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should have let her go. But then they decided, they decided she wanted to die, but she didn't want to die. She just wanted to get off the respirator. She thought that if she did, then she could go home. She wanted to go to Disneyland. She wanted out. Now, Rob Faye says he remembers those last weeks vividly, even counseling Gia had sent him to for friends and relatives of AIDS patients, didn't prepare him for the horror of her demise. She, uh, according to him, she had wanted to make some videos addressing children. Uh, I never got a chance to get the video camera. We just put it off and off and she was in the hospital, but she wanted to make this video for kids to see what drugs can do. And she wanted to tell kids that you don't have to do this. So that was sort of her like final wish to do this. She would die at the hospital of AIDS-related complications on November 18th, 1986, at the age of 26. No one from the fashion world attended her funeral. However, weeks later, Francesco Scavula, her friend, sent a mass card when he heard uh, the news. Now, that was like a sad thing in the book, just realizing how many people didn't even know she died. Mm. Like it wasn't even a thing. Even like her mom... Uh, I think there was, um, it's like a Philadelphia radio show. Her mom like called and she's like, my daughter died of AIDS. And they're like, oh, and they're like, who's your daughter? She's like, she used to be a mom. Like her, that's how the world found out. Her mom like called anonymously on a radio show and some of the DJs working that shift put it together that that's who <sighs> she was. Um, very weird. Now, Rob Faye, I thought the story was really sad, so I'm going to tell it. Rob Faye says that he will not remember the last days of her life, but during the last week, he was also barred from Gia's room. He said that he would choose to instead to remember one of the last days uh, they saw each other when she was still uh, herself. And it was the day that she told him she had AIDS. 
He said, we went off into a little side room in the hospital and there were a few other people in there with their parents and there was a stereo on kind of quiet. She said she'd been diagnosed with ARC and I made some bad joke because I didn't know what ARC was. And and she said, no, listen to me. This is it. And we just sat there and cried. And it was funny. We used to have this song um, that we would listen to in rehab called Don't Forget About Me. Don't You Forget About Me, the Simple Mind song. It came on and we were sitting there with all these people in the similar situation with their parents all distraught and she just kicked in. She cranked up the stereo real loud and we just started dancing. And, you know, that was a real special moment for us. Uh, So I thought this was interesting that she was one of the first famous women to die of AIDS. Really? Yes. Like... I I, and I makes, looked I looked at the list of famous people who died of AIDS and it's like all men initially. I mean there might have been unfamous women. Of, well of course, yeah. yeah but, but she was like one of the first famous women. The first famous. Famous. Right. Uh and she is um she is memoir uh on the AIDS memorial quilt as well. She mm-hmm. has a panel on that uh quilt. So yeah, I mean that's a sad story. Did you see the movie when it came out? Yes, I did see the movie. I was going to rewatch it, but I just didn't get a chance to. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't remember it. But I do know that Faye Dunaway plays Wilhelmina, right? I don't remember the movie. The only thing I remember from the movie is somebody telling her, Gia, you are nu- nuclear fucking winter. Oh. Like, as opposed <laughs> to like the beachy blonde. Yes. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's accurate. Yeah. I think. <laughs> In a way. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, she seemed cool. Yeah. I mean, troubled, but... Look, if Angelina Jolie plays you in the movie about your life, obviously you were You've got some hot. Dark, darkness, too. And you're hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, God, I... Yeah, I ha- I didn't know anything about her beyond the TV movie that I saw many, many years ago. I haven't seen it since. Yeah. Um, there were I- some complaints about this book i read some reviews of the book and they're like it didn't wasn't dark enough i was like it's pretty dark it's pretty dark <laughs> i was like i don't know what you wanted like is there a darker version maybe but damn like this was hard i think living with being a drug addict and uh contracting the aids virus at a time when there was like zero hope for people and all your friends are dying around you in mass I mean, it's pretty fucking dark. That was truly people. I don't think some people realize that it was literally like you're dead. Yeah, like to get that diagnosis. That's it. Like, well, and then people like we've lost a generation yeah. of men and women, and yeah. the people from that generation who survived. It's like every single one of them in the LGBT community like has friends and family members who they know who are just dying. Yeah. So, no, I don't know what that person says. It's not dark enough. It's pretty fucking dark. I don't story. know. I don't know. I was like, it, she didn't come off very sunny to me. Like, I, I was like, so I don't know what that complaint is. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> I thought it was pretty dark. I mean, the bi- the mem or sorry, biography. It's not like my favorite one. It's very. Uh, it's like very. You know how some of them are kind of like this is by a journalist. Yeah, <laughs> there's like no art to it necessarily, <laughs> but it's fine. Like it's yeah. pretty good. Uh, so yeah. That's that story. Happy Thanksgiving. Jesus, Desi. I forgot it was Thanksgiving week until just now. Well, uh, we will 
post some amazing, beautiful pictures of Gia. Yeah. And um, that you did a really good job, Desi. I had no idea what you were working on, and it was a really great episode. So we will see you all. We're going to post an episode. We will post an episode on Thanksgiving. We already recorded it. Yeah. So So that's your special treat. But you will get an episode on Thanksgiving Day. Look, we have a ton of listeners that aren't even in America, so they're like, who gives a fuck? It's a Thursday. I hope Uh, you enjoy. (laughs) uh, So enjoy your regular Thursday episode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And we also will have an after show that we will post to our Patreon that will go up after this is posted. That's patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. And what else? Anything else you have to take care of? No, that's it. All right. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.